It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And we've been talking about faith, what it is and what it isn't this week, had conversations in and out. We've talked about it being, you know, faith is is believing that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he's going to do. But I think there's some other elements to faith as well that I'd love to talk to today. And one of them, talk about today, and one of them is that faith doesn't quit when it gets hard. You know, the verse 2 of Hebrews 11 and one, 1 and 2 is, this is what the ancients were commended for. And the ancients, in Hebrews 11, if you've never read the chapter, it's known as the Hall of Faith. Yeah. And it's it's the big heroes of the faith. I mean, it's Abraham, it's Noah, it's Rahab, it's Enoch, it's it's Daniel, it's those who just— Faced incredible opposition, honestly, but they kept going no matter what. They just kept obeying God, even in the midst of the difficulties. And the author of Hebrews lists off these heroes of faith to encourage you and me to just keep pursuing Jesus no matter what obstacles get in the way. When my daughter Bryn was four years old, we were watching, my husband and I watching the Winter Olympics. She was playing with some toys on the floor and and we noticed that she stopped playing and she started intently watching the Olympics. And we kind of watched her amused for a minute. And then my husband asked her, hey, Bryn, would you like to try that? I can't even remember if it was like downhill skiing or something, but it was something radically impressive, right? And she said, if he can do it, I can do it. There you she go. never took her eyes off the screen. And that's what the author of Hebrews is doing in this passage. He's saying, look. It's not going to be easy, but it's not impossible. There are people who have done what I'm asking you to do because the the backstory on Hebrews is that we don't know exactly who the author is. We don't know exactly who the audience is, but by reading the text, we can learn that and understand that it was more than likely Jewish Christians who were coming under severe persecution. Oh yeah, for sure. And considering walking away right. from Jesus. Right. And going back to old ways. So the author is saying, listen, it gets hard. It does get hard. It has gotten hard. But these are people who went through the hard and kept going. And then this is the results of their faith. So it's meant to encourage us. It is. My daughter was at a gathering of missionaries in Greece last summer. And the person who oversaw this gathering had you know, missionaries come forward who had been on the field for one to five years. And they came forward and stood at the front of the room and everybody in the room just applauded these, these little newbies, right? Just getting started in the mission fields. And then they sat down and then six to 10 years. And then they sat down and then 11 to 15. And I mean, every five year increment, right? Went on and on and on up to 26 to 30 years, 31 to 35 years, 36 to 40 years. There was one family that was in that category. That was the longest that they had been in the, you know, that anybody in the room had been on the mission field and they had been serving for 37 years. Mm. And my daughter said, the way that the people in the room who were also walking the same journey, but not as far in the journey responded 
to this family standing in front of them who had faithfully, I'm getting choked up just thinking about it, but had faithfully served for 37 years. She said that just the applause in the room and the love and the admiration in the room. And what she said was, more than anything, it was the word she used to describe the moment was, it was compelling, compelling to keep going. Don't quit. It's worth it. It's worth it to follow Jesus. And it's not always going to be easy. There's going to be obstacles, but it's totally worth it. When, When you're not invited to the party because they don't want the Christian people there, the people who, you know, don't party the way that they party and you feel left out, it is worth it. When, when my mom gave her life over to Jesus when she was in her late 20s, you know, that's what Jesus said to her. It's going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be worth it. And she was the first in her family. And I can tell you, she didn't have any idea of how worth it it would be, but she took God at his word. Right, right. I mean, when you, when you say yes to Jesus and you go all in, it will cost you. I mean... It will cost you, and it's good to consider the cost. Another conversation, my daughter was speaking with somebody who was considering heading out into the mission field, and and she said, just as you say yes to this, make sure you understand what you're also saying no to, that you're not going to be home for Christmas, that you're, you know what I mean, just like listing off some of the things that you're that you're giving up as you as you say yes, and I think a lot of times, in wanting people to know Jesus and come across the line of faith. I don't know that we always do a really good job of having the consider the cost conversation. Sure. Yeah, no, we don't. And and it and it will cost us to follow Jesus, but it's so worth it. And and what does it cost you and me? I mean, getting up ten minutes early to spend time with the Lord before you head off into your day is so worth it. Tithing, tithing ten percent and then giving offerings beyond your tithe, it's worth it. Following Jesus is worth it. These missionaries gave up everything to know and love and serve God because it's worth it. Jesus is worth it all. So be encouraged by those who have gone before you. And if you need a little burst of encouragement this morning, just go ahead and read Hebrews 11. I promise you'll be encouraged. If you have the time as you read through Hebrews 11, stop at each person of faith. It says, by faith, Abraham. Just stop and read Abraham's story and then maybe take the next one the next day. But I'm telling you, you will be infused with faith with faith as you hear the stories of those who have gone before you. And I just want to encourage you to be someone who tells your story because you could be, your story could be the story that encourages someone else to keep going in their difficult moment as well. So keep going. With God, all things are possible. I was having breakfast a few Saturdays ago with a friend with my bagels spread before me. As I slathered a bunch of honey on them, he shared with me his doubts about God. One of the reasons he wrestles with doubt is because of God's judgment. By that, I mean that God punishes sin and that those who reject him end up in hell. And that is a hard truth. I've wrestled with that. But I think underneath my friend's wrestling about God's judgment is, what is God's heart toward me? Is he this angry judge threatening me with hell so that I'll accept him? Hebrews 4.13, taken by itself, just 4.13, 
gives this sense of a God who's threatening us with hell. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And then the first word of verse 14, Hebrews 4.14 is therefore. What do you think comes after therefore? Because what we think comes after therefore will really get at what we believe is in God's heart toward us. Yeah, meaning like if therefore you better watch out <laughs> is your thought. It's it's uh, It reveals that you know, we're fearful that God's yeah. coming at us with his judgment. The hammer's coming down. Yeah. Therefore, the hammer's coming down. But no, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's someone who, who goes between us and God to bring us close to God. Since we have a great high priest who has gone into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold on to our trust in him. Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. So whenever we're in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God, the throne of grace. Therefore, and there at the throne of grace, we will be treated with, listen to this, undeserved grace, mm-hmm. and we will find help. Since everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account, therefore... It's not the hammers coming down. Run to Jesus, the one the Father gave up for us for only one reason, love. A love so deep that we'll never plumb the depths of it through all eternity. God is just. He does punish the wicked. Hell is real. But that's not what's in God's heart when he thinks of you. His word says he doesn't want anyone to perish, mm-hmm. but all to come to to know him. That's why he gave up his son. That's why the son came to pour out his lifeblood for us. God's heart for us is love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love and kindness and and not to shame us because he doesn't he doesn't see the things that we've done wrong and say that's who you are. He says that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's he calls us to hire. Yeah. In, in a loving way, not in a shameful way. Everything that comes out of his heart is because of love. The warnings in Scripture are strong. They'll, they knock you back. They knock you over. But they're all out of a heart of love because he wants us to be in this relationship that he created us for. And so what's in God's heart for you is He's a father waiting on the porch, looking for you to come. And then he starts running towards you. And even before you turn around, he's running towards you. That's how much he loves you and me. And when you turn around, you see him running, but it's not when he started running because he started running even before you turn because his heart for you and me is love. Been doing a lot of conversations this week about faith, having a lot of conversations about faith, faith being, you know, a definition of faith in Hebrews 11, that believing that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, having, you know, being confident and sure that God is who he says he is. 
And faith is really the embodiment of what we believe. It's not just that it's in our heads that we believe God is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he's going to do, but it's it's when we live it out, we embody it. James 2.18, the New Living Translation says, Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. Faith and deeds, I think James is saying, are just, they're inseparable. They're the same thing. To say that you believe and to not act like you believe is not faith. Mm-hmm. There was this great film that came out in, it was like 2006, uh, called Facing the Giants. Did you see it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're a Christian. It's required. <laughs> well, yeah. And it was, it had heart. I mean, yeah, it wasn't. great movie. It was, you know, sort of a low budget film, but the thing I loved about it was it had, it had heart. It, it was believable. Yeah, for sure. And if you haven't seen the film, or just to remind you real quick, the storyline was there's a coach who had been like on a six-year losing streak, not doing so well. He had this team of misfits. It was it was not looking good for him. But he overheard some parents talking about, oh, I got to get rid of this coach. And man, he was doing everything that he could to like turn the whole program around. But just wrestling and and he was really trying to figure out do I do I walk away do I not walk away there were some personal struggles that he was having with his wife and they were trying to get pregnant and dealing with infertility and just there was a lot on his plate he was really really pressed and he had been praying and asking God for some kind of breakthrough well he's sitting in his office one day and an older gentleman who would just walk through the halls and just pray over the school was was walked right into his office and read a scripture to him from revelation and basically just told him god closes doors <laughs> that nobody else can open and he he opens doors that other people have shut and you know what god says is going to happen and and then he after he he quoted the scripture to him he said you know coach i can't remember what the coach's name is you know I just felt the Lord told me to come and tell you that his name is Mr. Bridges. And, um, and then he walks out of the office and coach is just sitting there like, what the what, you know, like, is this really from the Lord? So he kind of chases, chases down this older guy in the hallway and says, did you really believe that God told you to tell me that right now? And he says, I do. And he said, cause I am struggling to be honest with you, but I've also been praying and I am just not seeing God show up at all. And Mr. Bridges tells the coach this story. He said, there were two farmers that desperately needed rain for their fields. One of the farmers prayed for rain and then prepared his fields. Which one of the two farmers had faith? And he said, well, the one who prepared his fields. And he says, which one are you? And then he turns, you know, this mic drop moment where right. Mr. Bridges walks away with his Bible underhand. You know, and coach is just left there like thinking, what am I going to do with what the Lord just spoke to me? Yeah. And I think, I mean, that really is it. It's faith is not just, it's not praying and, you know, kicking back in your lazy boy and hoping that God's going to do something. It's anticipating that God is going to do something. Mm-hmm. That he's going to show up. There was a basketball player in Wayland. She went to Wayland High School. Her name is Preston something. She was playing the same time that one of my kids was was playing. And she just was 
so many levels among anybody else in her division as she was playing basketball. But one of the things that was so fun to watch her play uh, uh, that, that, about her that was so fun was the, the way that she anticipated what was happening on the court. It was almost as if she had like a bird's eye view and she would go to the places where she needed to be before she needed to be there. There was an anticipation level to the way that she played the sport. And I feel like faith is having that kind of anticipation with the Lord. So we pray and then we move in that direction before we even see that the ball's coming. We just start moving in that direction, believing that that God's going to do the thing that we've asked for. Yeah, I hear you saying that faith is not passive. So when we pray, then we take steps of faith. Yeah. Steps yeah. of trust. Yeah. You know, Abraham was called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, but he didn't know where he was going. And his faith looked like taking step by step by step by step, going where he didn't know that God would lead him and, and God did lead him. Right. Right. So, I mean, a, a direct example of this would be like, if you're praying for reconciliation, there's brokenness in a relationship and you want God to bring about healing there. Are you praying with your arms crossed, just waiting for them to come to their senses and apologize? Or are you praying for reconciliation and extending kindness and really desiring like good things for that person and, and encountering them in a loving way? I mean, there's a way to lean in. There's a way to anticipate and there's a way to join God in what he's already doing. And I think that's really where we get to see faith come alive because faith isn't meant to be just something that we believe Faith is meant to be expressed in our everyday life. Are you waiting for God to show up? Or are you confidently expectant that God is already here and he's working? I had a crash into grace when I was 18 years old. And, and that encounter with Jesus just, you know, just transformed my heart and transformed my life and sent me in a direction of just going after Jesus and and since then, it's been like, Lord Jesus, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be who you want me to be. I'm ready. Send me wherever. And, you know, that that's a really good heart to have. But what's hard for me is when God says, I want you to wait. I want you to stop. Mm -hmm. I want you to be in a holding pattern, and I want you to to pray about things and I want you to lay down things. So, cause I want to, I want to go, I want to do, I want to be for you, God, but I don't necessarily want to just stay in one spot. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. I literally over the weekend had a revelation and understanding that, you know, God allowed me to have about a situation that I want to change. I want it to change. I want it to change. I want it to change. And I feel like God was saying, because I feel like the, the thing that's, it's an obstacle to what I'm supposed to do and who I'm supposed to be. And what I felt like God said to me over the weekend was, it's actually making you who I want you to be. It's not an obstacle. Mm -hmm. And it's like, ah, that's not what I want. I want the go, 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 go. You know, I want the release. Yeah. So I can move forward. I want it to work out. And I want it to work out now because I don't want to go through the hard as I hear you saying that. Yeah, I get that. And for me, it's, you know, I laid down music, you know, recording music on June 1st because I felt like it had become too all-consuming, too self 
absorbing to me. And so I laid it down and, and I want to do it. And, but if it's still laid down and it's been really hard, but it's been really good because it's amazing what God does in your heart when you wait for long periods of time. Mm. It's just amazing what he does. He really does change our hearts. So yeah, be ready to follow Jesus wherever he calls you to go and to do whatever he wants you to do. But also when he says, I want you to just sit for a while. You ready for that too? We've been talking about faith quite a bit and, you know, faith in Hebrews 11, there's a great definition, Hebrews 11, one of what faith is. It says now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then just a few verses later in the same chapter, verse six says, for without faith, it's impossible to please God because anybody who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So part of having faith is believing that, that God exists that he is who he says he is, but it's also believing that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Mm-hmm. Personally, not that it's a generic, you know, planet Earth promise, but that like if you seek him, if you earnestly seek the Lord, you will ex- you will receive reward for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that faith isn't faith until it's internalized, until yeah. it's personalized. Because you can believe that God is who he says he is, Even the demons believe that God is who he says he is, but they don't have faith, right? And you can believe that he'll do what he's said he's going to do, but until that becomes, wow, God is who he is to me. God's promises are for me. Yeah, I think that's that's really where, where faith is activated. The way I look at it is that when you not only know it and understand it, but when you choose, you make a decision mm. of your will to trust it, to trust it intimately. You know, you understand and you make a decision to trust, to take that leap. Yeah, for sure. And I really think it's a difference between religion and relationship. Yeah. Because you can believe that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And it can be this distant kind of sterile understanding or you can have this personal relationship with God. And I think that's where, you know, we come to a realization that these promises are personal and that who he is, is for me. Yeah. And that's what I think happened to my mom and dad when they first started out. I mean, they both grew up in church, know all about, knew all about God and Jesus, but it just wasn't this living vibrant. It wasn't like this flame in them. You know, when they really gave their lives over to, to Jesus, it was like, they caught fire mm-hmm. and we got to watch them burn and we wanted what they had. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We want the fire, right? Maybe you've grown up in the church and you're deeply committed to the church and church is important to you. And you, you know, religion is such, you've got a high value on religion. My question to you this morning is, has it become personal for you? Is Jesus your friend do you have, do you long to spend time with him? Do, do you spend time with him? Are you nurturing an intimate relationship with God? Because at the point at which we, we come to heaven, you know, we get to the pearly gates and the question is, you know, not going to be whether or not we went to church and we were committed and devoted to religion, but you know, whether or not Jesus is going to say, I didn't know you. 
Mm-hmm. I, I never yeah. knew you. Knowing in an intimate sense. Yeah. Not intellectual knowing. That's important. But a knowing in a, like you know a friend. Yeah. God loves you and he wants, he wants to know you and he wants to be known by you. He wants to walk an intimate love relationship with you. And if this is new to you, you've not heard this before and you want to know more about it, oh my goodness, reach out to us here at 800-968-8930. That's the number here at the station. You can call us, you can text us. We would love to talk to you about having a personal relationship with Jesus. 800-968-8930. Because Jesus does love you. He, he does want to have a personal friendship with you. Well, I got to admit, I freaked out last week. I was overwhelmed with worry one day last week. I was tired, physically tired, and Teresa was out with some friends, so I went to bed early. And as soon as I turned the light out, Teresa pulled in the garage, and then there was a banging on the door because I'd locked her out. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Oh, I hate it when that happens. So I walked to the door like a zombie, unlocked the door, said nothing to Teresa as I headed back to bed. Really bad form. (laughs) Had to work that one out. Yeah. (laughs) Let me tell you. All because of my anxiety, I had not used the dagger of God's word against my worry. Mm. So here's how John Piper uses the word when he's feeling overwhelmed. He says, when I feel like What I do for God is useless and empty. I fight unbelief with the promise of Isaiah 55, 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Which just talks about, you know, the power of God's word and that if we share God's word, you know, the word itself is powerful. Sometimes when we share it, we we may not feel like we did it so eloquently, But the power is in the word, and we can trust that when we share his word with others, God's going to use it. When I'm anxious about being too weak to do my work or to get through the day, I battle unbelief with Jesus' promise. My grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Can't tell you how many times that I go to that promise. When I'm anxious about decisions I have to make about the future, I battle unbelief with the promise. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I love that so much because I need need direction. Mm -hmm. I need to make some decisions that are really important and that God will instruct me and that he will give me that direction. When I'm anxious about people who oppose me, I battle unbelief with the promise, if God is for us, who can be against us? These are things that we need to tell ourselves. It's like there's a prescription for every thing we're overwhelmed with in life. And the the antidote is God's word. When I'm fearful about what the future holds for my children, I battle unbelief with the promise that if I, being evil, know how to give good things to my children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good things to my children? Mm, That's good. Fight unbelief, Piper says, with every promise in the book, (laughs) but it helps to have one central default weapon. And for me, John Piper says, 
That's Isaiah 41, 10. Mm, And I have to say, I go to this a lot. This is in the message. Don't panic. I'm with you. There's no need to fear, for I'm your God. I'll give you strength. I'll help you. I'll hold you steady and keep a firm grip on you. I love that so much. I love that so much. I mean, just here's the thing. When we rightly understand God for who he is and what he's capable of doing, that he's not only powerful, but he's good. And then we recognize that he's with us in our, so it's not like a, oh, he's good for the world. It's not this big generality, but it's this, who he is, he is to me. And this is, I can grab onto this for my own life. Yeah, we can. It's it's a relationship with the Lord. And, and when we take these promises for ourselves, I know that, you know, as you know, I, as you know, Sean, I memorize lots of scripture and, and they have all come out of different things that I've gone through in my life. And those are my own. Yeah. And they keep, they keep on giving to me, you know, in different seasons of life. And so, yeah, we have to have these, these promises in our tool belt. I think oftentimes we worry without realizing that worry is actually, there's a lie underneath there. And if we can identify the lie, then we can find out what the truth is mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. replace the lie with the truth. Yeah. I know that that day I was feeling overwhelmed. It was just, it was fear. It was fear about something that, that could happen that I have no idea would, but I just got, you know, buried in that yeah. thought. And so, you know, here's this passage, Isaiah 41.10. Don't panic. I'm with you. There's no need to fear, for I'm your God. I'll give you strength. I'll help you. I'll hold you steady and keep a firm grip on you. Now, if that passage had been in my mind as I walked to the back door to (laughs) unlock it for Teresa, I think there would have been a very different outcome. So for next time, there's always a next time. You know, I'm going to take that one. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Perry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Perry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.